Hello, everybody. This is Andy LeBeau of Commodity Research Group. Today, I'm joined by Marty Stetzer of EKT Interactive and also with Ed Meir from uh, Commodity Research Group, one of my colleagues. And today, we're going to be talking about oil and metals, two uh, very interesting topics to, to discuss. Marty, good morning. Good morning. Nice to hear your voice again, Andy. Look forward like, to your comments. Likewise, likewise. Well, let, let's start out with, uh, with crude oil since it is uh, clearly front and center in uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of the trade and, and certainly in, in the media and, and uh, the way it's moving. Undoubtedly, there, there are a lot of uh, cross currents in, in, this, uh, in this commodity, and, and we'll talk about as much as, much as we can of what, of what we're seeing. But obviously, the, the number one factor right now is uh, geopolitical risk. The market has, uh, at least for, for WTI, after coming off from uh, 66.60 down to uh, $50, uh, has held and uh, rallied sharply given uh, what's going on in the, uh, in the Persian Gulf. And uh, as our listeners know, there have been there have been some there has been military activity, and there was almost uh, a winding of military activity overnight today incidentally uh, we're recording this is uh, june twenty first so uh, the u s almost attacked Iran on a, a limited basis, but uh, in the last week or so, there have been uh, attacks on uh, on shipping in the Gulf of Oman, and there have been attacks on Saudi oil facilities. And uh, the Iranians shot down a U.S. drone, and all of a sudden, actually, it has been all of a sudden. It's only been in the last in the last week, the oil market began to notice that, hey, you know, we've come off by seventeen dollars. We're at, we're at fifty dollars, which is uh, the lowest it had been since um, since late last year, since December, and maybe the, there's an impetus. Uh, or there clearly was an impetus to cover short positions and, and go long, which is, is not surprising, I think, given what, you know, give, given what's transpired and what may transpire, which uh, at, at this point is, is uncertain. But uh, any time the, there's a chance for, uh, act, for military action in the Persian Gulf, you know, that, that could be serious. Now, I have to say that I've been covering the Strait of Hormuz for, I'd say, 40 years now. Uh, we've been talking about it since uh, September 22nd, 1980, uh, when the uh, Iran-Iraq War uh, began. And, you know, it, it, every now and then, uh, or cyclically, I think, it, it comes, into, uh, comes into play, obviously, with uh, the geopolitical developments. The Strait of Hormuz is a strangle, is what the, the U.S. government calls a, a choke point through which 21 million barrels a day of petroleum, petroleum liquids flow through, as well as a quarter of uh, the world's liquid natural gas flows through. Now, can the Strait of Hormuz be closed? No, uh, that, that's unlikely. And uh, I think when, when we talk about the Strait of Hormuz, 
being closed. It, it's really, it, it, it's really more of, um, it's really not the strait is going to be Hormuz, but the strait is going to be closed. But it, it could be uh, that there's going to be some wider or some other types of uh, military action that we saw in, in the Gulf of Oman. Back in, uh, during the Iran-Iraq war in the 1980s, there was a, a tanker war where both Iran and Iraq attacked, uh, tanker, attacked shipping in uh, either the Gulf of Oman or, or in the Strait of Hormuz. The U.S. Navy eventually formed convoys to, to um, bring the, the uh, to accompany the ships through the uh, through the straits, and you know we we, we did lose. The, there were barrels lost, but I think you have to look at obviously in the Persian Gulf, and you know you you, you just have to look at a map, and you'll see Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Oman, Yemen is is not a uh, is no longer a big producer, but clearly. There's a potential for uh, something to happen uh, and to widen this uh, this conflict, and the market uh, obviously has uh, you know has as I said before uh, is reacting as as well it should. However, you know what what's also important besides the the potential for a widening conflict here is that the fundamentals, in in my opinion. Uh, were not quite as uh, as bad as uh, say a fifty dollar uh, fifty dollar WTI. In fact, as we move ahead and look at uh, and look at third quarter, the fundamentals are actually look look much better. We should be as as we move into uh, as we move into three uh, Q and looking at the demand for. Um, Looking at demand for OPEC crude and where OPEC is producing, uh, it looks like there's going to be a shortfall. Now, it looked like there was going to be a shortfall in, in second quarter, but what happened is U.S. runs were uh, much lower than, than had been anticipated. And as a result, U.S. inventories grew, crude inventories grew significantly in the second quarter. Total inventories have grown nearly have grown by about 0.85 million barrels a day during the second quarter. Let's say a million barrels a day in the, uh, in the second quarter. So as a result, we, we thought the build would be about half that owing to uh, lower runs and some softer, some softer demand numbers coming in. And as a result, inventories have built. The other part, the, there's also been a uh, big build in natural gas liquids owing to the record production of natural gas. So we saw this build in the U.S. globally probably less so, but that clearly was one of the other bearish factors in uh, the market coming off, as well as the, the trade war and fear about the fear about demand being, uh, being hit in second, in second quarter, third quarter, and into uh, fourth quarter. But I think the market uh, got way ahead of itself, way ahead of itself, because demand being hit, we're talking about growth of uh, mo- most of the most of the uh, analysts and the um, and most of uh, the consultants were looking for growth, say 1.2, 1.3 million barrels a day this year. That's around where we were. 
you know, 1.3. Uh, we have curbed that to, to 1.0 1, 1 to 1.1, around 200,000 barrels a day, where everyone else has, has also has also cut their estimate by 200,000 barrels a day. Well, Saudi production is down from uh, November by half a million barrels a day, and OPEC production continues to uh, decline. So we're taking that 200,000 barrels a day and just magnifying it, or the market did, into, uh, a, a, into a big move down. And given where the balances are, uh, or looking for a third quarter, certainly, in my opinion, wasn't justified. However, uh, there was also a massive long position that got liquidated. And not surprisingly, as this long position has finally been liquidated, uh, WTI, for instance, has gone from like 15 longs to 15 to 1 long to shorts on the big spec. It's now like 3 to 1. It's actually below where the averages are right now. So not surprisingly, as, these, as this position is liquidated, of course, the market, it's time for the market to uh, rally. So I think it got overdone on the downside. Uh, and, and on the upside here, uh, we, don't, uh, we obviously don't know uh, what's going to happen in, in the Persian Gulf, but uh, certainly there, there could be a lot more upside depending on, uh, depending on what does happen. There's also an OPEC meeting coming up. The G20, which I know Ed is going to be talking about, uh, is coming up. Uh, Trump's meeting with the, the Chinese leader. So the, as, as I said in the introduction, the, there's a lot of cross currents going on. Furthermore, last night there was a massive fire at, uh, the, at the PES Girard Point, which is in Philadelphia. Uh, a massive fire at that refinery. That refinery is 330,000 barrels a day. Uh, it, it, so far, the, we, we don't know uh, what the damage is, but uh, it, it, from early reports, it, it, looked, it looks pretty serious. Now, 330,000 barrels a day is uh, 25% of Pad 1 refining capacity. So that, that could be a big blow uh, and, and also could change a, a lot of the balances. It would be good, obviously, for U.S. refiners not in the in Pad One, and certainly good for European refiners uh, if this refinery is down for any uh, any length of time. And it appears, just look at the pictures, like uh, like it it will be. And not surprisingly, uh, gasoline went has has gone crazy. You know, gasoline rallied significantly overnight, as uh, as w as well it should have. So you know that that is uh, certainly something uh, to watch that uh, just happened overnight. So uh, a conflagration here in the East Coast and a possible conflagration in, in the Persian Gulf. And, uh, you know, again, it, it just shows, it just shows her trading oil is oil is all about geopolitical uh, infrastructure, uh, the macro, the global macro, and I think it, it's why it makes oil so interesting and uh, su such a great commodity to have followed for, for all the, these years. Even talking about the Strait of Hormuz again uh, 40 years later is, uh, you know, is, re is really something. Um, Andy, speaking of infrastructure, can I chime in at this point? Sure. The uh, Houston Chronicle has been 
doing numerous articles on the uh, number of infrastructure changes that are going to change the global balance in, in probably the next 24 months. There's seven different projects to help take some of the tremendous U.S. crude production and get it ready for export. And Philip 66 had a good explanation of how this is going to be done. They're going to build two offshore buoys, and it's called a single buoy mooring or a single point mooring, 27 miles east of Port Aransas, which is just south of us here in Houston. It'll be fed by two underwater 30-inch crude pipelines, and that terminal would be able to handle what the industry calls a VLCC, or very large crude carrier. And each one of these crude carriers is 250,000 deadweight ton and holds 2 million barrels. So think of 2 million barrels a day. We need a VLCC to offtake from one of those SBMs every day if we have 2 million barrels a day of exports. And then I said, well, how big is this ship? So I went on and I searched, thanks to Mr. Google, what's the biggest cruise ship out there? And it's the Royal Caribbean Symphony of the Seas. It's also about 225,000 deadweight tons, but it's a little more interesting. It carries 5,500 people, has 24 pools or water slides, and a version of Central Park, which is a little more interesting than a VLCC. But there's one of the Symphony of the Seas, and right now there's 70 new builds of VLCCs in shipyards around the world. So I think what's going to happen here, again, infrastructure and a little bit more of the global dynamic, you're going to see a big change by the mid of, middle of 2021. And we need we need this infrastructure because U.S. production continues to uh, continues to grow, thankfully. And this just shows the shift. You know, you talk about it just shows the shift in the in the global dynamics uh, and what what we're able to do uh, on what what we're able to do with um, our production, our exports, and our policy, quote unquote policies, but it, it certainly has, has changed things. Uh, uh, the U.S. becoming a net exporter, which it will by 2020, 2021, versus when we were, when we were a uh, major importer. Okay, I think that's, I think that's enough for, for oil for, for a bit. I'm going to turn it over to uh, Ed Meir to talk, uh, talk metals. Thanks, Andy. Before you go, I'm just curious, what, what is your take now as to where we go price-wise and what do you think will happen? I mean, uh, I know it's hard to, you know, get into all these, all the president's head and what the Iranians are doing, but what do you think will play out if, if for example, the States has a limited strike, you know, just sort of hitting a radar installation with no casualties or something like that, something limited. What impact do you, th do you think that will have? Or has that I, been discounted? It, I don't think it's been, I don't really, that may have been discounted, but let's, let's look at the ramifications. Yeah, we could have a limited strike and then the Iranians ramp up action against the, the Saudis. The Saudis are already asking for, they need more protection for, the, for their oil facilities. Or something happens in, in to the UAE or right. Oman. So, you know, obviously the market is uh, unlikely to go down 
if if we see more, uh, you know, if we see further action against the Saudis and, and things get uh, and things get heated up, and and that's the risk really is that you you draw other actors into what looked to be a limited, yeah. uh, you know, limited strike, and you know the next thing you know, you know the the, the Saudis are involved or um, you know the the or the other Persian Gulf producers, obviously Israel is is in the is in the neighborhood. So uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a very dangerous situation. What the other thing I failed I did not mention is uh, insurance rates. Obviously, have spiked. You know what? what I think it's the highest. Uh, it's the highest in, in decades. I think I, I don't have the exact the exact year, but insurance rates for voyages into the Persian Gulf have, uh, have, really sp- have really spiked. So there's bound to be some dislocation. All right. Well, thank you for that. I'll just say a few words, not too long, on our markets, the metals markets. The main highlight this week has been gold, which has gotten to a six-year high. We're currently at just under $1,400 an ounce. And, you know, for months it was uh, you know watching gold was like uh, uh, watching paint dry it was just not doing anything except just flatlining pretty much in a, in a in a within a hundred and fifty dollar range for the past two and a half years but we finally broke out of that range in just 24 hours which was quite remarkable and of course the reason is partly the tensions in the in the gulf uh uh, but more importantly, has been this wave of global easing by the central banks, uh, led uh, by the Fed, of course, this past week, and also just prior to the Fed meeting, the ECB saying that it's going to be, uh, you know, looking at further easing if, if warranted, and the Bank of Japan saying the same thing. In addition, you had three or four other central banks all lowering their rates uh, this past month. So really you're seeing an across the board move uh, towards easier m- money and that's what's really been driving the, the gold market. Interesting on the European credit markets, there's a chart which we'll put in our research. Practically all the European bond markets are now negative except, except for the UK and the US. Uh, well, the US isn't in Europe obviously, but if you look at the global picture, most of the bond markets across the world, in, mainly in Europe and in Japan, are negative, except for little pockets of the 15-year and the 30-year. So it's, it's quite a conundrum uh, the ECB and other central banks have when they, fit, when they literally cannot move rates any lower. And in fact, they're, you know, they'll go into negative territory as they have. So the question is, are we going... That, that, that same path, you know, are we going to, in the event of a really serious slump uh, here in the U.S., which I don't think we'll get, but you never know, are we heading towards, towards zero or negative as well? Other than that, base metals have not been doing very much. They've been obviously moving higher with everything else, but they've been a relative laggard and are in fact down today because of a variety of reasons, mainly you know, the Chinese macro numbers, again, have, have been pretty disappointing. We got weak PMI numbers as well this week. 
but I think the, really the, the focus for the base medals is on the G20 summit later this weekend. The talk is that, I mean, the consensus view is that President Trump and Xi will agree to resume the negotiations. That, I think, is a reasonable scenario. I don't think either of them will, will walk out of the meeting or anything like that in a huff. Uh, I think they'll agree to restart the talks, but I don't think we will get a really effective agreement uh, from all this because the issues are so complicated that I, I don't think you can put it in, in an accord, let alone enforce it. So I think that's a problem the U.S. and the Chinese face as they proceed down this very, very complicated uh, uh, situation. But at least Mexico is out of the way. We had a brief scare with the Mexican tariffs that came and went. NAFTA Part 2 seems to be getting ratified. The Mexicans put it through. The Canadians are going to put it through shortly. And I think there is some appetite here in the U.S. to also get it passed. So at least that, that part of it is looking good. The, the, key, the key thing now is, you know, settling things with, with, with the Chinese. And if, if the markets get a sense that there is some progress there, we could see the base metals rally a little bit uh, going into the week after next. That's it for me if uh, any, guys, any of you guys have any comments or additions. Ed, I, ha I have a question. Sure. How much, let's talk, let's talk about price on gold. Yeah. Um, how much more upside do you think there is? There That's a good gold? question. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the charts now. I think, you know, uh, we could, you know, again, it depends on how, how things develop in the, in the Persian Gulf. From my experience, these geopolitical events kind of have a one-shot impact, you know. If they don't get worse, a rally kind of tends to usually fizzle. So gold likes to see continuous upheaval for it to move higher. So we, we, uh, with that caveat, I think uh, uh, 1450 looks to be a good chart point. Uh, some people were saying uh, 1500 this week. Um, but the, the key thing is technically the... the the, the charts look really bullish. You know, you have a lot of ETF buying coming in. I think it's been the most in six months. Uh, the breakout is clearly evident. So we may be pausing here. And in the event of, an, of another skirmish or retaliation by the U.S., uh, I think we could, we could probably move up another 50 to $100 over the short term. Okay. That's a good move. Yeah. Well, finally, I mean, finally, you know, yeah, uh, it's been uh, it's been really, really very. Keep in mind, we were at eighteen hundred uh, uh, six years ago, so we're, we're certainly we still have a lot of ground to cover. So you know, uh, but you you kind of get complacent because it's been such a relatively tight range that throwing a number like fifteen hundred seems uh, huge, but it certainly is doable. Okay, thanks, Ed. Marty, any, anything else? No, that was really helpful, Ed. I kind of wondered what was going to happen to gold with all the geopolitical unrest since normally it's been tied to financial markets. Now it seems like it's got two things pushing it up. Yes. Okay, so I, I think that'll, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks very much, Marty and Ed, for, uh, for joining us. This is 
This is Andy LeBeau from Commodity Research Group. You can reach us on the, uh, on the web at commodityresearchgroup.com. And uh, my email is alebeau at commodityresearchgroup.com. Marty? Thanks uh, for the opportunity to participate. If some of our trading listeners would like to learn more about the infrastructure relationships, take a look at our website and our 10-part Mobile Ready series called Oil 101, talking about a lot the way the upstream, midstream, and downstream are interrelated. You can find us at www.ektinteractive.com. And again, thanks, Andy and Ed, for the opportunity to participate. Thank you.